see, don't you see, by the dawn's early light. Pa 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 and the rocket's red glare, <laughs> the bombs bursting in the air. Ma 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 ma. Na 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 na. Na 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 Folks, what was I singing? Please drop it in the comments. Aiden, don't tell people what I was singing, but tell me if I'm right or wrong. Forgive, forgive yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> lack exactly. of the lyrics. <laughs> the reason why I was singing that is because it is the time to sing that and swing along the U.S. election cycle. One of the most consequential U.S. election cycles, I believe, one of the most consequential mm-hmm. U.S. elections in, in the history of uh, U.S., at least in the modern history of U.S. And I have with me someone from U.S. all the way from uh, California, brother, if ah. I'm not wrong. Aiden Smith, a political analyst and absolute genius of a political analyst. I follow him on I Twitter, it. Twitter and uh, staunch hater of capitalism <laughs> being <laughs> an American. From, uh, I'm being more from moderate America. than I let on. Right. Yeah. Uh, despite being from America, despite being from California, the the... <laughs> The cradle of American capitalism, so to say. Oh, yeah. But man, welcome welcome to the Solukopoulos podcast. Welcome to the Solukopoulos podcast to the viewers and listeners, whoever we are from around the world. Thank you very much for doing this, Aiden. Of course. C- can you please tell about yourself to people and uh, why I'm talking to you? Because uh, just defining you as a political analyst is not enough. I mean, you work for NBC, you work for various other companies. Just uh, give us a l- brief intro about yourself, if you don't mind. So I work for a, um, a think tank called Data for Progress, mainly looking at, you know, um, policy from a progressive standpoint. It, it kind of operates on multiple fronts, you know, policy, especially with regards to housing policy, um, you know, polling with regards to marginal constituencies, um, just a variety of, of various advocacy um, on the advocacy front, uh, very much a new type, very fresh uh, think tank launched in 2018. Um, I, I like to do writing for, you know, uh, the nation, current affairs. Um, I'm always happy to be quoted in various outlets. Um, so on like a multifaceted front, I'm, you know, involved in American politics. Um, very much has been my passion throughout my career. Um, so yeah, I'm always happy to speak, uh, if anyone wants my insight. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, I more than anyone else, uh, would like to have your insight, uh, straight away, jump, jumping into this, uh, what an election this is going to be, right? Let me use the word circus here. What a circus of an election this is going mm-hmm. to be. And me as an Indian, as an outsider of an America of, of the America, I'm just grabbing my popcorn and my drink and just, you know, sitting back and watching it unravel. Like I'm watching it unravel. Like I watch a movie, right? It's, uh-huh. it, 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 that's how the world feels like. So, so tell us, tell people, especially people from India who are most of my listeners, why should we care about this election? And why is it, one of the most consequential uh, elections ever been in the in the modern history of U.S. at least. For sure. I mean, I, I think for the former, there's often a taboo surrounding people being interested in the politics of other countries. I think in general, I think that's kind of silly sentiment, but especially with regards to 
the United States, you know, it's the global hegemon. Everyone mm -hmm. in the world is impacted by the presidency of someone like Trump, who is, you know, actively sabotaging the U.S.'s efforts to combat climate change. I mean, I'm just scraping um, the most obvious, you know, international consequence of it. But I mean, in reality, like, the United States will probably be the world's global hegemon for the foreseeable future, which means you really desperately need to have someone who isn't like an active climate denier. There's obviously so many more consequences, but just on the international level, whether you're in India or Nigeria or the United States or Europe, you're absolutely affected by the outcome of like the US presidential election, you know? Um, as for the, the latter, uh, I mean, like Trump needs little introduction. Um, deeply i i could just in the most respectable terms he is a committed to a deeply socially exclusionary agenda um on climate change which is like the defining issue of our time just an absolutely active climate denier just selling off public lands to the petroleum industry uh, stalking you know the environmental protection um administration with coal lobbyists. Um, it's really just the main consequence of this election that's on the line is not just getting him out for the sake of not having Donald Trump in office, uh, but also because of the courts, because in America, the federal judiciary functions something as a super legislature. It's a weird dynamic that doesn't really exist anywhere else. The closest would be in about Brazil, but even in Brazil, they actually have like judicial term limits. Basically in the US, we have um, most importantly, the Supreme Court, it's nine members. The Supreme Court has, you know, throughout our history been probably the most powerful body in the country. It has signed on to some of the most reactionary policies imaginable with regards to some of them are like infamous Dred Scott um the okay giving the okay to internment during World War II basically the judiciary is on the line um and if Trump gets another term and the GOP holds the Senate that means that we could see a seven to two Republican controlled judiciary and it would just the results would just be you know frankly irreversible for the near future mm -hmm. and uh, is it because the supreme court judges in us have like lifetime terms i mean they yes. are judge they are judged till they die basically yeah it's obscene yeah and the um, if it sounds hyperbolic because when you're explaining the supreme court there's yeah. really absolutely no comparison globally it doesn't make sense the closest yeah. someone stated was it, the closest thing to the U.S. Supreme Court um, system is in Iran. It's the closest thing to the Council of Elders who are appointed and get to choose the um, supreme leader when the time yeah. comes. And I'm not even really being hyperbolic. There's just no other comparison. So if you have a seven to two Republican Supreme Court, just even thinking the most obvious is Roe v. Wade. Uh, we will have you know, abortion laws that would be comparable to like El Salvador, just going back a hundred years, basically. Uh, besides that, um, gay marriage could be overturned. Any attempts at um, 
progressive policy, like if we get universal health care, you know, the conservative judicial network has created so could easily just come up with like a fabricated way and say like this goes against your, an originalist interpretation of the Constitution. It's basically like nine kings or and queens. I mean, they have like women on the court. Um, but yeah, that's the main consequence of it. So they'll, Trump they'll, is, uh, they'll bring Bible into uh, America, America yeah, America's life, right? Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, so, so I mean, like, Trump is obviously a completely obscene person in his own right. Like, he's just a ridiculous human being on basically every facet. Uh, but the main consequence is in the realm of the judiciary, which functions as something of a super legislature. So, you know, um, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, Supreme Court Justice's death, that ups the stakes even more. Um, yeah, so the main thing about this is the judiciary, um, more so than even trumping such a uniquely like odious individual, if that makes sense. So it is a very consequential election. Yeah, uh, you're basically saying if Trump wins, he will basically be Ayatollah Trump or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, y- yeah, it's just such a nightmare just considering what a seven to two um, mm. Supreme Court would look like. And something that's actually been discussed that most people have long been taboo to talk about is the idea of expanding the Supreme Court. It was last mm. attempted um, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president. Mm. Um, and he was passing historic New Deal programs. Um, the Supreme Court had a conservative majority that kept, you know, um, called stifling his attempts to pass like meaningful legislation to combat um, the Great Depression. So what he did was he threatened to expand the Supreme Court and he ended up not doing so, but it did scare them away from uh, fucking with his policies. So that's something that's, for the first time in literally around 80 to 90 years, the prospect of expanding the Supreme Court um, from nine justices to more so that we don't have, you know, a fundamentalist, you know, Christian Dominius majority until 2050. It's now on no. the table. Um, yeah, so but, that would be something that would, and, and to be clear, even though it's a taboo to talk about historically, there's no actual constitutional provision that says we need to have nine justices. In fact, yeah. the Constitution's um, Supreme Court provisions are extremely vague, even in terms of qualifications. So it, it's entirely within the realm of plausibility. It just requires political will to do so. And if we're going to see some we're seeing some right now in more mainstream circles. So um, as far as I'm concerned, that has to be priority number one. You're, even when Biden wins. You're, you're, you're basically saying U.S. is this close to being the Christian Republic of America, right? It's Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand all that, but uh, what, what else is at stake, right? You, you're talking about Supreme Court. What about mm-hmm. immigration, right? Because we as yeah. Indians are the we, the number one thing we look at is who, which friend, which president is like friendly at immigration. And yeah. I was watching the 2016 election uh, uh, results, and I uh, stayed up all day. I I took a day off, and and I stayed all day. Uh, and it was just heartbreaking to see, right? It's like Democrats losing Michigan, Democrats losing Wisconsin, yeah. the, the the kind of states that they haven't lost since fucking Reagan, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, 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 what what uh, is the immigration going to be even more worse? 
and uh, and should we uh, should we literally give up hopes of uh, having an american dream we as uh, you know foreign foreigners of america yeah i mean i think the thing about um the immigration is that you know um there will obviously be consequences to people looking to get an h1 visa people um, mm. who want to work in people from india or another country who want to move to the united states and work um in a formal industry. So there will definitely be consequences regarding that. The most extreme consequences would be with regards to um, undocumented immigrants. Oh, yeah. and, and it's, you know, it's, it's easy from the outset to look at undocumented immigrants and say, well, they w shouldn't have been here in the first place. For one, uh, here's one of the biggest secrets of American politics. Conservative wealthy landowners want undocumented immigrants to come here so they can pay them less and treat them barbarically and then have, if they ever try to organize labor unions, they can threaten to call ICE deported. and get them deported. So people like Trump, um, maybe not him specifically, but very, very conservative, wealthy, anti-immigrant people actually do want an underclass of undocumented immigrants um, and they actively promote them coming here um, people there's really no need to even like romanticize undocumented immigration the fact of the matter is places like El Salvador um, have been completely devastated by inter American intervention during the 1980s the economy is just completely wrecked for a lot of people there just really is no other option mm. Um, besides, you know, temporary work in the United States. And quite frankly, they should have, they are human beings. Uh, they should need to have protections. Their children should not be ripped away from them and put in internment camps where, you know, some of the, the ICE internment camps, they're literally during COVID, they, they have immigrants detained with indefinite trial in concrete rooms with no ventilation. And they're spraying um, liquid anti-liquid -dis disinfectants on like immigrants in crowded it, it's sickening it's just beyond yeah. the realm of like kids kids uh, separated yeah so trump doing stuff like upping that um would be a consequence of his re-election and that's also somewhere where the supreme court would have some role mm -hmm. in legitimizing you know like one of in 1944 um, the Supreme Court in Korematsu versus United States, they okayed um, Roosevelt's illegal internment of Japanese Americans in California in response to mm -hmm. Pearl Harbor. The Supreme Court has and will be, unless we change it, a tool of to legitimize some of the absolute cruelest, most barbaric federal policies imaginable. So that's something where it's, it's both related to, you know, direct composition of the Supreme Court with regards mm. to immigration and also Trump just being a uniquely cruel and callous person. Mm. Uh, okay, uh, let's uh, shift to the election style of US, right? So, sure. so uh, we, uh, you, are you aware of the Indian style of elections? We are a parliamentary yeah. system, right? We have a bunch of members of parliament. So mm -hmm. the members of parliament choose the prime minister, right? That, that yeah. is our style. I prefer this system. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm a Westminster system fan. I prefer like the Lok Sabha, the United Kingdom House of Commons. I, I have a very negative opinion of like the US electoral system for a variety of reasons. Yes, but we, I, I'd like to very, very quickly and very briefly explain what how this system works is basically 
just like MPs in India, you have electors in every state, right? So, for example, yeah. uh, tell me if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. If if I if yeah, I go yeah. wrong anywhere, right? So, if every state has a bunch of electors based on the population dynamics and all that. So, exam yeah. for example, if Texas has 30 electors, and even if 51% uh, of uh, Texas population voters vote for Trump, yeah, it means that all the 30 electors will go for Trump. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, it's an obscene system. That yeah, is, the winner right. takes the winner takes all the MPs of the state, yeah. which in case MP being an elector. Here's right? like, yeah, here's one of the biggest, um, besides just the obvious in the abstract issues with this in terms of fairness, which are pretty blatant. Mm. One of the biggest issues is that American elections are not administered by the federal government. They're administered by the state government. So what? when Republicans take control of a state governorship, a state legislature, they have so much control over doing voter suppression. Like it, they can literally like unilaterally I, I, it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but it's not really within the realm of comprehension in other developed countries what Republicans in swing states tend to do when they get power. Basically, the general dynamic in America in, I'm, I'm you know, simplifying it, but basically in America in, let's say, Wisconsin, the Republican population of Wisconsin are white people in rural areas. The Democratic population of Wisconsin are black Milwaukee. people are black people in big cities like Milwaukee. So in Wisconsin, when Republicans, thankfully they don't have the governorship, but just for example, because they've done this plenty of times, they do stuff like they close to only one polling station or one drop-off box for mail-in ballots in all of Milwaukee. And you can guess who that harms. And they do, that's just some of like the most, um, you know, common examples of voter suppression the GOP does. Can't they like sue them? Excuse me? Can't they like sue them for that? Yeah, but I mean, oftentimes it's, it has a deterrence effect. People are, first off, America, uh, I don't, I know that India has like a, you know, a rotating um, election system. Uh, I was watching like a video on how it does it over the course of a very long period. In America, it's always on, one day yeah. during Tuesday, which is a work day. People don't have time off. Um, Democrat, Democratic voters tend to be working class. If you have to work 60 hours a week to barely scrape above poverty level, you cannot take time off to vote. And if you do, in some cases, you can mail in your ballot. But in other cases, Republicans will just, you know, <laughs> close um, the post office, like there really is, or sometimes they, when they have secretary of state's office is, and to be clear, the secretary of state of the U.S. is a foreign policy position. At the state level, the secretary of state is an elected official with, who mm -hmm. has power over election processes. When they're Republican secretaries of states, like in Georgia, they literally just sometimes purge hundreds of thousands of people. When Brian Kemp, the Republican secretary of state, uh, running for governor of Georgia in 2018 against a black woman who was a Democrat. He was secretary of state and he oversaw a massive purge of the voting role in black areas to harm his opponent. And he won by the slimmest margin ever. And people have just, I mean, they haven't forgotten about it, but he's legitimized. He's, he's just the governor now and they can do stuff like this. Um, so that that's a big thing that people want to push for in January if Biden wins is 
this broad democracy act that will at least have stuff like, um, you know, more election oversight so that we have, it's not even fair to call America's election system a third world election system because the vast majority of developed countries have far, far superior voting systems to America. I, I have a feeling India has a better system than America oh, because we, we, we have uh, something called an election commission, right? Which, yeah. which, which is completely independent of the government. Not the case anymore. That's an open secret. But generally, yeah. <laughs> generally, it's an independent body which takes care of the election all in all over the country, in any state, any district, wherever you go, right? It, no one yeah. can question it. No one can influence it in any way unless, you, unless the, the court intervenes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, I, I, I want to take it from the bottom, right? Because most of my uh, listeners are uninitiated about the US election, right? So we were talking about uh, electoral system. So winner takes all. So Texas has 50 electors. Uh, Trump wins 51%. He, 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 he is not taking 51% of the electors. He's taking 100% of the ele- electors. Yeah. So all 30 will vote for Trump. So some states will always... So Trump's party is Republican, which is the red. Uh, Democrats... Biden, which is the blue, some states all always vote for blue, right? They 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 are they are more progressive. For example, California, New York, Connecticut, right? Uh, Illinois, they are all constant blue. They are not. They, they if they switch, then the world should end, right? So they yeah. they mostly will never switch. Some states are red, right? Uh, Alabama, Louisiana, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, states like Arizona, right? So so basically, the entire U.S. election is all about the swing states, right? Swing states are the states that sometimes it they it's like they are like they are like someone with a bad mood, right? Sometimes they swing the red way, sometimes they swing the blue way. So what are the swing states here? Ohio, Florida, the general swing states. So can you add to the list? I mean, I'd say yeah. The thing about like I, I would just go and say that I think the thing about um, I mean, a lot of traditional election uh, prognosticators think otherwise, but it's especially in the 21st century, it's clear that in swing states when candidates campaign there, it's less a game of convincing people to vote one way or another, because in general, the vast majority of people only vote one way or the other. It's about turnout, basically. So when you're campaigning, like in, uh, just trying to think, well, Wisconsin's a good example. Mm. When you're a Democrat, you're not really going to Wisconsin trying to like convince conservative white voters to vote for you. You're trying to turn out your own base. You're trying to turn out um, working class people in Milwaukee. You're trying to turn out co- progressive college students in Madison who would otherwise, they wouldn't ever vote for Trump, but they might just stay home. And the game, yeah. and it goes both ways, but the game in swing states is basically maximizing your own base as opposed to really getting people to cross over. I mean, of course, there are people who change their votes, but for the main point american elections are very polarized so you know the biggest swing states are wisconsin you know traditional midwestern state um very conservative rural white population and a very large more diverse population in milwaukee um ohio similar dynamic Uh, i mean ohio is turning more conservative but in Mm. general there's still a lot of blue areas in the big cities, Mm. Um, same dynamic in general, big cities in America tend to be vastly more diverse, vastly less white, uh, more liberal, more progressive. Mm. So, you know, they have Cleveland, Cincinnati, uh, Mm. Columbus is actually, you know, a growing city in Ohio. Um, Florida is a weirder state in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, in America, Florida is just kind of like 
people joke about Florida uh, a lot, justifiably, because a lot of ridiculous events happen there. It is America's America, is it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So in Florida, you know, it's a weird dynamic because in general, Latinos vote Democratic. Again, I mean, of course, Latino is such a broad, encompassing label that could include anyone from, you know, a white Cuban to like an indigenous person in Peru. So it's a very broad label. But in general, one of the biggest um, components of the Democratic coalition are Mexican Americans. But anyway, in Cuba, it's a different um, scenario because one of the most conservative constituencies are Cubans in South Florida in places like Miami, who tend to be wealthy white Cubans um, who immigrated around 1950 and are very staunchly conservative. Uh, so Florida is a weird dynamic because, you know, you have um, a very large black population who are, you know, of course, tend to vote democratic uh, in, you know, places like Tallahassee, um, Jacksonville, Orlando, any of the big cities. Um, and then you have a large Cuban population and a large conservative rural white population that tends to vote GOP. And usually Floridian elections are decided by the skin of the teeth. You know, in 2000, um, George W. Bush won Florida. Uh, that's kind of infamous in our yeah. election that Florida decided the election. Um, that was another case of voter suppression. George Bush's brother was governor of Florida at yeah. the time. Um, it was obvious voter suppression in Democratic majority areas. One of the persons who actually went to the Supreme Court to help the Republicans argue their case for why they should stop the recount um, and, and give the Republicans the election was Amy Coney Barrett, who's a lawyer who's now about to be appointed to the Supreme Court. So it's basically wow. just, you know, yeah, it's basically just like a dystopian circle of people who never get punished for doing just barbaric, heinous acts. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Florida is will always be a swing state. Arizona is emerging as a swing state, uh, previously mm -hmm. more conservative. Um, it's population of both, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's mainly credited to Phoenix Latinos in areas, you know, the big cities, Phoenix, Tucson, what have you. Also just Phoenix, just attracting a lot of people from across the U.S., mm -hmm. um, Instead. So yeah, Florida's definitely trending pretty hard blue. And of how course, about, how about the Carolinas? The Carolinas is, um, South Carolina is, it, there's kind of some interest there this time around for the Senate election, which is rare. Mm -hmm. South Carolina, though, is, uh, will remain a red state for the foreseeable future, largely because it's largest city. Um, Charleston, South Carolina is a really interesting place. When you get the time, you can look at pictures of it. It was in like the top five of biggest U.S. cities in the 1700s, but it never really emerged as one of the biggest population centers in the South. That that went to New Orleans and Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, basically, Char basically, South Carolina, it has a very large Black population, so Democrats can score um, a large vote, uh, a very large like vote um percentage there but actually getting over the line over 50 percent there's just too many conservative white people on the other hand like north carolina charlotte north carolina is becoming one of the largest cities in the u.s you have a lot of um very diverse communities there you have you know urban professionals a lot of people who you know are from california who moved to charlotte north carolina for 
um, a field in tech uh, yeah. who are, tend to be liberal, even though they're more upscale, they'll still vote Democrat. So Charlotte, mm-hmm. excuse me, North Carolina is definitely becoming, um, I mean, it's already been, but especially now it's clear that it, North Carolina it, will it, it, it was pretty close last time, right? North Carolina. Yeah, it, it was very close last time. Obama won it in 08. Um, mm-hmm. It has a Dem governor. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it definitely looks like Biden will win it, and it'll continue to be one of the main swing uh, states. What, what, what do you think of Pennsylvania, man? That 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 has a lot of how many electoral votes that has? I I I, I can't remember. A very uh, large chunk. I'm yeah. forgetting the number off the top yeah. of my head. Yeah, I yeah. mean Pennsylvania will um, continue to be one of the most. The the iconic American swing state, you know, we yeah. have, um, that's again a game of maximizing your base. So the Democratic base is, I mean, I'm, re- I'm putting it reductively, but obviously, for the most part, the Democratic base is in Philadelphia, which is a very large city, very mm-hmm. large uh, working class communities. One of the, I'm not sure if it actually has a black majority, but it has a very large black population. Um, in general, Republicans do better in rural white areas. Southwest Pennsylvania is an interesting area because it's really reliant on hydraulic fracturing, which is, you know, mm. the environmentally disastrous um, petroleum extraction yeah. practice that comes to play in Pennsylvania elections. Um, you're you're talking Biden, about fracking. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think uh, Biden will win it this time. But I mean, in, in for the foreseeable future, Pennsylvania will be one of the biggest sites of, you know, yeah. battleground contests in America. Like that, that won't change anytime soon. Right. Uh, how much truth there is to the fact that most of the red states are red because the blacks don't vote enough in those states? They're not allowed There's, to. You know, I mean, it's interesting because like... Because um, uh, what you're basically saying is, Wherever there is diversity of voters, Democrats do well. Yeah. When I say diversity, a mix of uh-huh. black, Latino yeah, yeah, population, this, and wherever there is a pure white conservative population, the Trump's party, the Republican party, will do well, uh, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. In in the South, um, like I mean, like Mississippi has the largest portion of black uh, Americans in the country. But actually, it's so polarized on racial lines that because there's a white majority, it'll be very hard for a Democrat to ever win statewide. Mm. So in terms of actual states, it's it's less clear. But there's a lot of definitely like um, cities or congressional districts in the South where if we had less like brutal voter suppression laws and yeah, absolutely, Democrats would be doing better. Mm. Uh, and. Are you foreseeing any upsets this time? If we, are you seeing an, a completely... So last time we had this completely unexpected result of uh, the blue state of Michigan going red, the, the mm. blue state of Wisconsin going red, right? Are you seeing any such upsets? Either ways, the, the blue mm. turning red, the red turning blue. What, are you foreseeing anything? Is there anything interesting that we have to watch out for? I think... <clears throat> I think in terms of actual um, statewide presidential election results, I don't really have any idea either way. There could actually be something, you know, weird that would happen in South Carolina, even though South Carolina is not going to, you know, be a traditional swing state. If mm. Biden does win win nationally by a larger amount, mm. you know, Obama won Indiana by like the smallest margin in 08, even though that's a deeply red state. 
if something like that happened, I mean, maybe that would be conceivable. I think most of the upsets would be in some of the contested house races, um, especially in Texas, in districts that are like trending really, really hard blue in a way that they weren't even four years ago. So I, on the upset I, uh, standards, I would definitely be looking down ballot as opposed to presidentially, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, any any chance of Texas going blue? No, no chance. Yeah, no, no, there is. Yeah, and when Texas is, you know, when Texas is a blue, when Texas is a formal battleground state, that'll just change American politics forever because that's it's the second largest state besides yeah. California. So it's going to be like American elections are just going to be a game of winning Texas at the presidential level. Mm. Um, yeah, it'll be extremely close. I imagine it will be within three. I imagine Trump will win it by like three percentage points so mm. a very narrow margin um in terms of down ballot stuff there's a bunch of house races in texas um in any of the suburbs of some of the largest cities so in the suburbs of austin dallas houston um one race um on the border uh where one of our candidates is looking like she can pick it up so yeah texas the story of texas will be a kind of a clear one that will look um to what the state will vote like in the near future. But yeah, like the Democrats have been wanting to win Texas for oh, such yeah. a long time. And they've been talking about like, if the Latino population grows. They came uh, this close to Beto O'Rourke, right? Beto, yeah. Beto came so yeah, this they, close to, yeah. Yeah, so like in the last 20 years, every Democratic strategist has been like, someday Texas will be winnable because of the growing Latino population. And in 2018, for the first time, that wasn't really fantasy. Like Beto actually came extremely close to winning. Yeah. And all and um, so yeah, Texas, it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Right. And also Texas is... Um, trend blue is also i mean obviously it is because of the growing latino population but another mm -hmm. unspoken thing is that it's one of the top sites for immigrants from asia so there's yeah. a very large asian um community in texas very large um, indian community in texas in I'll, one of the i'll tell you something i'm from the telugu part of india it's called andhra pradesh and there is a massive yeah, telugu community in yeah, you know, Andhra Pradesh, right? There is yeah, a yeah. massive, massive Telugu community in Dallas. I heard there is a radio station over there in Telugu, and there is a uh -huh. theater dedicated for uh, Telugu movies. So, uh -huh. sorry, go on. Yeah, I, my actual, my, um, you know, my ex girlfriend is from Bangalore. She lives in Andhra Pradesh, and her mom works for Texas Instruments. So she always tells me that, like, her mom goes to Dallas, like, every month. I mean, not now because of COVID, but in general, she's been going to Dallas. Um, for such a long portion of her career. And in one of uh, the major Texas races, um, one of the candidates is three president, Cole Carney, um, who is backed up by, you know, he's an Indian American. Um, so yeah, he could definitely win. Uh, yeah, so Texas is just becoming a very diverse, it's always been a diverse state, but for the yeah. first time it looks like it can actually like form an electoral coalition for Democrats, if that makes sense. Right, right. Uh, tell me something. What is the strength of Trump right now? I mean, he has massively failed the U.S. in the pandemic. People say it yeah. was ine inevitable. U.S. has a large population, so so all the cases, all the deaths were inevitable. Yeah, ridiculous. There, there is there is nothing there is nothing Trump could have done. These arguments of something I've heard. Okay, but nevertheless, the fact of the matter is he failed America yeah, yeah. handling the uh, COVID crisis and 
and uh, he didn't pass the stimulus uh, that that uh, the people deserved right he was uh, giving mm-hmm. tax breaks of tax breaks to the corporations giving uh, packages to the corporations right and massive job losses and everything everywhere i see the situation it should be there should be an anti incumbency right there should yeah. be some ha- hatred right but i it 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 still it's not really convincing for me from 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 the place that i see and i'm sure you can agree with this so what really is uh, working for him so uh, so well what what is his strength yeah i mean i'd say that like Trump is, he was never popular to begin with. The fact of the matter is the American electoral system just has an, a bias in favor of conservatives who have the support of rural white people whose geographic, for you know, for reasons of the electoral college or, you know, the Senate just have an advantage in general. So Trump was never popular to begin with. Um, uh, fun fact, uh, let me tell you the fun fact here. Actually, Hillary Clinton got more votes than Trump. Yeah. nationally in it's called the popular vote right? the actual number of votes hillary clinton got more votes than trump but still trump won and became the president because he got the more electors electors so he basically <laughs> won uh, some crucial states and he got the electors i'm sorry to interrupt go on <laughs> yeah, yeah um so yeah there's just the bias in favor of conservatives institutionally um as to, with regards to Trump's handling of the pandemic, it has, of course, been atrocious. It's been completely opaque. He's responsible for the deaths of about, I'm not going to credit literally 200,000 American deaths to him, but I will credit about half of it because he did he did absolutely sabotage the U.S.'s COVID response. Uh, besides him, you know, just institutionally, the fact that America does not have universal health care and that poor people are rightfully scared of going to the doctor because if they do, they'll be bankrupted. I mean, I'm only partially exaggerating. There's people who go in for, um, like, there was literally a case where someone, like, got a, went to a doctor, got, like, a literal Band-Aid, and then got charged, like, $22,500 or something and with surprise medical billing. What? Don't don't cite me on that number, but there is absolutely some really dystopian um, stuff of people who go in for, I mean, like it, Trump was in the hospital for three days in Walter Reed. If any working class person did that, they would literally go bankrupted. I'm not exaggerating. They would get about a $100,000 um, in debt immediately. Um, so yeah, but yeah, in so America not having universal health care obviously is horrible during a pandemic. Uh, besides that, just having a federal system in which anti-contagion strategies are asymmetric and conservative states are just free to, you know, deny the existence of COVID, that of course makes it worse too. So it also is just an indictment of decentralized government, in my view. Right. Uh, what What is the appeal, right? I mean, it, it's just weird. All the Trump voters have the same common thread, right? They deny yeah. science. They deny masks. They, they they don't like diversity. They don't like immigration. So uh, do you do you see anyone who's switching sides, anyone who was a Trump voter before? Do you see at least a little percentage that is like going to decide and go against the Trump in the conservative society? You know, I mean, I think there genuinely were casual, some casual Trump voters in 2016 mm. who weren't particularly ideologically inclined. With regards to Trump's actual base, the appeal is that he is hurting people that they hate, and that's mm. good for them, even if he is not helping them in literally any way. There's just a really potent 
you know, he's a, his appeal is soft ethno-nationalism, cultural resentment, punishing people who they dislike. I mean, that obviously for conservative white people, that's especially black people and Mexican immigrants, but also people who are like teachers. They don't like teachers. They don't like um, people um, in professions they consider to be like intellectual professions. It really is just that Trump's appeal is cultural resentment, and that appeals to people who are just hateful and don't show solidarity with other human beings. Fox, Fox News consuming, WhatsApp believing. Yeah, yeah exactly. So Fake. yeah, um, Boomer. So them, uh, Trump's word is basically gospel. Um, but I mean, that, that even just extends past Trump. That's just the Republican Party. It's just that Trump is, you know, so much he doesn't rely on, you know, the same dog whistles, meaning, you know, the dog whistle in American politics means when, you know, conservative politicians stoke racist sentiment, especially like against black people for like a white conservative audience, but do it subtly. So like, instead of actually saying, you know, outright racist things, they'll rely on complaining about welfare queens with the connotation yeah. that black people are, are on government assistance and that they're the reason you can't afford to pay for your health care when in reality it's because they're just they've sold off all this all social services to you know private equity and it's a good yeah. way for them to deflect and blame it on an on a group of people who are you know predominantly working class and have like no power over mm -hmm. you get where i'm going with this but yeah it, yeah. it really just boils down to cultural yeah yeah um what do you think are the strengths and the weaknesses of Biden? Um, I mean, Biden is... I, I, you know, ob obvi obviously, I, you and I do, do not agree with his uh, uh, policies and his yeah. stances. He's not really progressive enough. But, you know, yeah. on the basis of the need of the hour, right? The hour conversation. Yeah, of course. Is, yeah, yeah. obviously, I'll be voting for Biden. I got my ballot. Um, and the mm. strengths is that he's a largely likable person and mm. he can use, you know, Obama nostalgia for, mm. which is electorally opponent. The mm. negatives is that he could theoretically turn off more progressive voters, but for the vast majority, um, progressive voters are willing to, at this hour, set aside, you know, their disappointments with his healthcare policy to vote mm. for him. So I do think he's overwhelmingly favored to win. And to me, I'm more just concerned over what happens when he wins and the conservatives in the government just wage total war against any of his initiatives and go harder on the anti small d democratic uh, sentiment uh, yeah well, well, this is a this is an interesting point right what are the if if this if this election is a chess game what are what are the pawns that Trump is moving to, you know, stay in power, right, in case he loses. For example, you said he's uh, trying to, uh, you know, upend the balance of Supreme Court by installing the favorable yeah. judges. What else is he doing to, you know, hold on and grab onto that power somehow yeah, or the mean, other, the, in case is, he loses? Yeah, I mean, the main thing is just sowing um, doubt over mail-in ballots, because obviously people want it. First off, mail-in ballots are just more efficient and means that people who could, you know, not take time to take off work to go vote on a Tuesday, it means that they can vote. Mail-in ballots are very reliable. And in states that only use it, it's only shown to have increased voter turnout. But for someone like Trump, like sowing um, doubt over it and saying it'll create 
voter fraud, which voter fraud is a dog whistle for black people voting. It's, it's, that's what he's communicating to his base. Mm. Um, so yeah, just kind of sowing, you know, down. And I think, I think he shut down some postal systems in some states, if I'm not yeah, wrong. Yeah, that's another thing. So just sabotaging the U.S. postal service, mm. uh, what 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 ugly things are we should we look look to if Trump loses after the November sixth or fifth whenever it was happening? Uh, yeah, I mean it would just be you know spontaneous acts of violence by his supporters. Um, the degree to which that'll happen, I mean that's just a variable you can't really predict. But there will definitely be at least some rioting of some sort. Um, so yeah, that that is something to look to. Um, but I think it's just more concerning is that like Trump is probably going to lose, but like the sentiment that got him into power is not going to like dissipate immediately when he leaves. It could actually just increase. And if Biden is unpopular in office, that will just lead to like a worse version of Trump getting elected in 2024. So that's kind of the, at least um, in my view, that's what I'm kind of thinking about as opposed to the result of like, this cycle in particular, which I think Biden will win, if that makes sense. Uh, but everyone said Hillary win, right? Hillary yeah. will win, right? So why why should we trust the polls and the pollings and yeah, which, which, which which went? Let's let's be honest. It went horrible. horribly wrong. Horrible, mm-hmm. right? Horribly mm-hmm. wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd say for two. I mean, that's a completely reasonable concern. Polling is not a perfect science yeah what is different this time is my question yeah i mean i just say that i would argue that trump is weaker this time and that like anti-establishment voters who might have supported him last time have largely soured on him biden this has better personal favorabilities than clinton did um and then lastly a lot of polling models have been adjusted since 2016 it rather imperfectly but at least it looks like they're more accurate so the 2018 like midterm polls were tended to be more accurate than the 2016 mm. um polls so i think in general biden is favored unless there is just some absolute like chaos in voting if it's a free and fair election i'm inclined to believe that biden will win if that makes sense yeah uh unless uh, not too many postal post offices are shut down yeah, not not and one more crooked thing uh, republican party is doing is they're only if if they're only having one polling station for the entire city which is like to reduce yeah. the voter turnout in in the populated black populated areas right yeah, so exactly yeah. Yes, they pull stuff like that. Um, so it really just, you know, uh, I'm inclined to believe that if it's a free and fair election. If, yeah. If, yeah, if, it, if that's if, the variable. Yeah. And that's something you can't predict. But I'm inclined to think that Biden will win. So I'm, I'm more looking into, you know, how can we keep kill Trumpism yeah. when Trump's out of office? Mm. Interesting. Interesting. But here's the thing, man. It's like, I, 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 me being uh, me having looked at 2020 right i my prediction is like 2020 will still be this uh, bitch ass year and maybe throw trump again i'm just yeah. speculating at this that yeah. it's a joke it's a joke um, no, no, i mean i i don't i have you know this year has just given me like a general sense of pessimism so like yes. i i relate to it yeah. Uh, uh, one last question is, uh, I, I cannot let you go without asking about Bernie Sanders, right? Two questions. One thing is, yeah. if Bernie Sanders was a nominee, would he would he have beaten Trump? Number two is, why was Bernie Sanders not the nominee? What went wrong? 
Um, for the former, I'm inclined to say so, just because of Trump's own. I, I would just give kind of the same answer as Biden in that, like, uh, I mean, Sanders is obviously very ideologically different than Biden, but he is still a, a very likable person. Even most very conservative people say that, like, yeah, Bernie Sanders is a nice guy. He's in politics to help people, even if he doesn't have good policies. He's not doing it to, like, better Funny. his stuff, which is, it's obvious. And he's a, he's a nice mm. old dude who's trying to give people health care. Mm. For the latter, it's really um, institutional blockades within the Democratic Party to getting someone like Sanders elected. Um, Biden, when he won South Carolina um, in the primary, he got something like $100 million worth of free media campaign in, in mm. corporate media outlets, which just kind of got people to consolidate around him. And also just the question of electability versus Trump. Like, Democratic voters support Bernie's policies. As polls have proven that they support Medicare for all. They support mm. a living wage. The issue was he just was not able to communicate in the way he should that he was electable versus Trump. Um, mm. So in the future, you know, the progressive movement needs to do a better job of, you know, communicating their um, electability. Right. Right. Man, so you you are uh, betting your savings on Biden. Yeah, I, I'm, I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that I am inclined to believe he's favored. Um, right. And that does not, in, in, to be clear, like, that sounds like an indication of personal optimism, but it's hmm. not because I'm actually really concerned over, you know, what happens in the two or four years after that. Um, but I am inclined to believe that in this one roadblock will, you know, something will go marginally good if that makes mm. sense uh, yeah. i want to bet my savings on it because of you know election fuckery but i mm. do think of it free and fair biden will get over the line right uh, right yeah. i hope that is a very positive note to uh, end, end this podcast thank you very much aiden for joining us uh, yeah, no tune into the space for a few more u.s election specials this is aiden smith and i'm najib and we are logging off from silica podcast bye everyone